Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. So, we've, uh, I, you know, I'm going to beat David to the punch. It's, it's, the episode sounds good. There's an uptick in audio quality, so that means it's a guest episode. Yeah. You said that yeah. every time. Oh, but yeah. That's all right. It's, it's worth pointing out. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we, like I said, it's a guest episode, so uh, let's not make him keep quiet any longer. Our yeah. guest is uh, uh, comedian Wyatt Senek. Hi, guys. Hi, Tyler. Hi, David. <laughs> it's weird because we'd been sitting here this whole time, and yeah, up until this point, you were just like, shut the fuck up, and now I can talk. That is what we said. He came through the door and we're like, hey. Before you yeah, say not anything, not a fucking word. Yeah, it's yeah. like help yourself to some cookies, have something to drink, right. and, then and then shut forty the fuck minutes of setting yeah. up, and we just didn't let him talk at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Save it for the show. Yeah. Which, by the way, guys, uh, I'm double parked outside. That was what I wanted to say to you. Oh, was that I couldn't find a place to park. Um, oh, that's all right. So I hope I'm not towed. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. But thanks for having me. Oh, and, no problem. Yeah. So let's. Uh, Let's get to know you a little bit. Okay. You're, you're a comedian. I am, yes. Yeah. David, you want to take it from here? <laughs> okay, so uh, you, you live here in Los Angeles. Where are you from originally? Uh, originally, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, and then I moved to North Carolina for a little bit, and uh, a few stops in New York uh, along the way. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been here. I've been here ever since North Carolina. I went to college in North Carolina and then moved out here. With a friend of mine, actually, right? Yes. Uh, a- Amy. Yes, uh, Amy Tongue. Listener of the show. Hi, Amy. Hello, Amy. <laughs> I don't know you, Amy, but uh, I've seen y- you pop up sometimes when I Google our show. So <laughs> thank you. Thanks so, for um, listening. So talk about uh, you know getting into comedy, what drew you to it, what you hope to accomplish with it. So essentially, um, this is a job interview. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. And where do you see where do you yourself see yeah. in five years? I I had been waiting for the comedy job interview. I hope I'm not underdressed. Uh, um, not for a comedian. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, it was something as a. I was always interested in comedy as a kid, and then I never. I I think like I wound up going to college, but I just sort of went to college to get out of the house. Um, and while I was in college, I wound up uh, just kind of getting into stand-up a little bit and into, like, improv and sketch a little bit and then dropped out of school for a little while to go do an internship at Saturday Night Live, um, which was a really fun experience. What, what years or year was that? That was uh, 96, I think. It was, uh, like... Will Ferrell, I think, was in his first or second year. It was like Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, like Jim Brewer was kind of like the the it guy that year. Like there were a lot of Goat Boy sketches. Oh wow, yeah. For the fans of Goat Boy <laughs> was, out there, it was a time capsule for you. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's sort of it was it was the Goat Boy years <laughs> of SNL. Um, so yeah, so I was there for half a season. I. Uh, had uh, had a lot of fun and learned a lot, and then went back to school, graduated, moved out to L.A., and had just sort of been doing stuff in L.A. Uh, like I'd stopped, I'd stopped doing stand-up for a little bit um, and was just doing like sketch and improv stuff and then got back into stand-up. Uh, like stand-up initially, it terrified it terrified the hell out of me. Uh, like, because I started in college, and I remember like the first time I ever did stand-up, uh, 
it was at this place called Charlie Goodnights in Raleigh, North Carolina. And you show up for the open mic and like the open mic, you audition in front of all the other open mic comedians that night. And so they're obviously not that interested in seeing you. And it's also like six in the five or six in the evening. So it's not even like it's a good time for comedy. It, it is. It's it's a good time for comedy, but not like a good time for dinner. Um, <laughs> and uh, but so you perform for them. So then it was like somebody would tell you whether or not you get to come back that night. And so they were like, "Yeah, you get to come back." And I had like three minutes of jokes uh, that I'd written, and uh, I had like my whole set. And they were like, "Yeah, you get to come back." And I, I came back, and. I remember, like, I had three minutes, and I only did one minute. Like, I was so nervous and freaked out. And, like, the whole time, like, my stomach was in knots and shit. And, like, I get up there, and I did, like, one minute. And I just, like, skipped over jokes. And was just like, thank you very much. And, like, just ran off stage. And there was the headliner that night. Like, he pulled me aside, and he was like, Hey kid, that was really good. That was a that was one of the funniest minutes of comedy I'd seen. <laughs> and I was like, oh wow, that like I in one sense I I took it as like, oh wow, what encouragement. Like I should keep this up. But then at the same time, what kind of drew me away from it was the same person who was giving me all this like encouragement while he was doing that was strapping fake dynamite to his chest. <laughs> Because he was like a Middle Eastern comic, and that was like part of his routine. Was like he would open his jacket up and have like a fucking like dynamite strapped to him, and so it was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe he's not the best uh, judge of uh, my abilities right now. So so that's your first time doing stand-up. You said you had the jokes written. How much time is spent? I don't know in the car in front of the mirror like before you go up the first time before i went up the first time uh wow i i I think i spent a lot of time just going over it yeah i think it was like in my dorm room going over it and like all the stuff i had written it was weird because i had like two i i had like two types of jokes one were like weekend update style jokes that uh because at the time like i think i had gotten back from snl and they had told me I could, like, fax jokes into them. So the jokes that they weren't taking, I was like, well, I'll tell these on stage. Um, And I remember, like, yeah, like, they were just, like, awful, stupid jokes of, like, like ripped from the headlines. And then then there was another joke about, because at the time I worked at, like, a Foot Locker-type store, and I remember, like, this guy coming in in a wheelchair and buying Air Jordans. And, like, this was real, and I remember, like, getting really mad at it, like, at just, like, the idea of, like, how wasteful he was. And I don't even know if it was a joke as much as it was just, like, a somewhat offensive, angry rant <laughs> at this guy, this paraplegic guy who obviously knew nothing about the proper way to spend his money. Like, I was very, like, I was very mad. Like, what the fuck do you need? Like, it was like, because it's, it's like, at that point, like, he probably needs, like, one pair of shoes for his life because, like, the tread is never going to go away. Like, it's, 
Like, as long as he keeps them clean, like, they're really just for show at that point. So, well, do people, like somebody, do people in wheelchairs, when they play wheelchair basketball, do they wear basketball shoes? That's actually a good question. <laughs> that, yeah, no, I mean, it's... It's like somebody in a nursing home wearing a watch. It's like, you, you really have, you have nowhere to yeah, be. No, yeah. You're, You'll be fine. Time doesn't matter to you. I would like, though, if all wheelchair basketball players wore, like, loafers. Just, <laughs> yeah. like, shiny, just shiny shoes. The, the whole point is, like, oh, if the light hits it the right way, I'll blind my opponent. Spats. <laughs> Jellies. And, and, uh, but, yeah, so, I, uh, yeah, I think I remember spending a lot of time, uh, a lot of time. There was also, there was a guy who, I think after I'd gone a couple times, like, pulled me aside and was like, uh, man, I want you to know you're going to be fine. He was like, guys like you and me, like, we're going to be fine. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, I was reading this book, and he has the book with him. And it's like, this book says that Jews and blacks are the funniest people around. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I'm Jewish, and you're black, so we'll be fine. I don't like there was a part of me that wanted to like look at the book and just like I was afraid that it might be like his family photo album or something and there was like a note from grandma that was like oh sweetheart you'll be fine Jews and blacks are, are funny like and then it's like oh thanks grandma this is oh, this is I'm going to follow this and I'm going to spread the gospel so, so um to get back to I mean you were talking about the weekend update type jokes and uh you know, uh, Tyler and I have seen you a few times. You're a funny dude, by the way. Thank you. Um, you hear that, Amy and- <laughs> Tung? I'm a funny guy. And uh, while you, I don't know if uh, your your stand up, I don't know if topical per se is the word I would use to describe it, but there is like a social relevance, I think, to a lot of your uh, premises. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, there. I'll, I'll I'll go with that because yeah, topical is <laughs> probably. I'm not the most topical person. I I'm. I, I don't read the paper that often. I'm very, like, yeah, I, I think most of it is just stuff that if, how it affects me. Like, it's really very selfish, and it's just, like, it's just my perspective. I think a lot of, eh, no, not all the time. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, like, you, you did You've a, confused uh, him, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did a bit, I think it was at, uh, at Comedy Death Ray a month or two ago, um, where you were sort of I, it was more more of a sketch i guess than than uh, stand up where you were sort of making fun of the uh uh the the dude from the crips who wrote wrote a, like children's books oh right yeah tukey uh tukey williams yes right. yeah that was me and brandon johnson yeah. were doing a uh yeah oh that's yeah we were doing i was a crip who <laughs> had started a in honor of tukey since tukey had written like children's books i had decided that i would do my own children's book as a crip um, to sort of keep his legacy alive. So I, I, my character wrote a book called uh, Little Cuz Learns to Keep His Mouth Shut. (laughs) And it was a series of children's books called Little Cuz. Uh, And what was your character's name, by the way? uh, uh, Include include the nickname. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was uh, Donald Rape Time Catchings, I believe, was his name. Because uh, uh, if you ask him what time it is, it's time to get raped. And, uh, yeah, and then Brandon was a blood who had done his own things for the community, 
which was put the local women in porn. Right, the local, like, single mothers. Yeah, he was putting single mothers in porn, and then he showed, uh, it had to be, like, seven to ten minutes of the most graphic (laughs) porn he could find. Um, it, it was it was funny though, but uh, you know, uh, so see, not necessarily topical. Showing an audience <laughs> right. porn, but it, I mean, you know, excuse me if I get too analytical, but it seems like it's what what you're sort of it's funny and everything, but what you're you're showing is sort of this this dual nature of what in the in these sort of neighborhoods the 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 gangs both they 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 speak give lip service to providing safety and stuff for the for the neighborhood, but they're also very predatory. Yeah. So th- that's sort of what I'm talking about when I say that's socially relevant. Okay, yeah. No, I'll go with that. I like that. I'm going to, uh, in the write-ups I'm going to start doing of myself from now on, <laughs> I'm going to put socially relevant. <laughs> Which uh, brings us to today's topic. Uh, okay. Social relevance. <laughs> well, um, we're gonna, uh, let's get into it, shall we? We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, sort of stereotypes and depictions of, of race in film. Now, I want to take a second to make... Uh, Tyler and I look a little better because I don't want it to seem like the two white dudes are like, oh, let's have a black dude on the show and what are we going to talk about? Oh, I guess race. What happened was uh, when I first talked to Wyatt about about doing the show and I was asking him what kind of you know movies he was into and he, we were talking about action movies and we started to talk about the Die Hard movies and you pointed out then that in each of at least the first three, I never saw the fourth one, sorry. I just, I just watched the fourth one. Um, there is at least one uh, character, black character, who's like a... Uh, a sidekick of, of sorts, but he's he, he fulfills one or more sort of stereotypes. Do you want to talk? Do you want to use that to? Uh... Yeah, like it was. It was actually I had a college professor who had broken down like all these movies, and the Die Hard movies were one of the, one of the ones that she had kind of talked about of just like racial stereotypes in the movies, and like in the like in the first Die Hard, it was like. Uh, there were like three black characters in the movie and she kind of talks about like how like the the sort of racial elements of it and like there was the one uh uh Steve Urkel's uh neighbor uh Mr. Winslow uh, uh Reginald Bell Johnson yes uh that like he like compared to like Bruce Willis Bruce Willis was like this cop who was like you know in shape and like uh-huh like able to shoot a gun whereas like reginald vell johnson is like overweight and hanging out at a donut shop and like completely impotent through the whole movie and somewhat prone to hysterics yeah and right. and just kind of like for whatever reason like he seems like he's too unhealthy to be a cop and they've given him like he's got a beat even though he's like afraid to use a gun yeah and then there was like the limo driver who was like this like street smart black dude and then like a too big tuxedo <laughs> which i don't think any limo company would ever hire that guy <laughs> to drive a limo like a cab is one thing but a limo there's a certain amount of class and i don't think you're gonna hire a dude named argyle to drive a limousine for you especially if argyle is wearing his big brother's tuxedo <laughs> Um, and so there was like that, there was, there was Argyle and then there was the villain, the one black villain who was like the smartest of all the three black guys, but he was like a nerdy guy and his name was Theo, which like when my friend was talking about it all, like it was like one of those things that it's weird that the only other black character name Theo that anyone knew of at that time was the Cosby show's uh-huh. Theo. Mm-hmm. And so it just seemed like there were like all these little subtle 
digs at black people. And then I think there was one other there was there was like a SWAT guy. Like there's some scene where like the SWAT is like they're rushing the Nakatomi Tower. Uh-huh. And uh there's like a they're like running through some bushes and there's like one black SWAT guy who like runs through the bushes and then is like ow and like hurts himself (laughs) (laughs) and so it just seemed like like so and and so i guess if it was one movie it was fine but what my professor was talking about was like then i guess i can't remember what it was with the second one i think it was like well there's like a john amos is in it john amos is in it but i'm talking about there's the other guy who i haven't seen in so long i can't remember exactly who his character is but he makes reginald l johnson look like a macho guy (laughs) like his He's so effeminate and, yeah. and pudgy. And I, I can't remember the actor's name or anything that he does because it's not a very good movie. But. Well, and even like John Amos, like I can't remember, but I think, I think he he turns would, out to be a traitor. I believe, like yeah. he, he's with Bruce Willis, and then like halfway, and then uh, halfway through, he turns out he's working for the other guys, and then he gets sucked into an airplane propeller. And was that it, was awesome to me when I was a kid. <laughs> racist. Um, wasn't, Fair enough. That was part of the joy. <laughs> but wasn't also John Amos? I can't remember, but I, I feel like there was also something where like John Amos trained the head villain or something like that. Like he was. I can't remember. Like somebody would have to watch it and tell me. But I think I think there was also some other thing where not only was he a traitor, but he was the guy who trained the villain, the main villain yet was now subordinate to the main villain or something like that where <laughs> oh, it was yeah. like i think that was I, I think there was something in that and then the third one was just like just nuts like <laughs> from the beginning where bruce willis walks in with a sandwich board that says like i hate niggers or something like <laughs> yeah. that and then uh and then just like on on network television by the way that sandwich board says i hate everyone really <laughs> 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 it stands to reason someone would get mad because it's just like, hey, wait a minute, that's me. Well, and then on the back it says, "By everyone, I mean niggers." Um, well, and then, but then the other weird part of that is like Samuel Jackson. Like he and Samuel Jackson go through the exact same things throughout the movie, and like by the end of the movie, Samuel L. Jackson can't walk. And like, like Bruce Willis just has like a little cut above his forehead, and like Samuel L. Jackson's knee is broken and his shoulders separated, and like there's nothing sexy or romantic about like how they beat the piss out of Sam Jackson. But like Bruce Willis, it's like, oh, I got a little dirty, yippee ki motherfucker. And like, and and then I think they just kind of wind up like Sam Jackson really didn't even need to be in that movie other than to just yell like McLean. What the fuck? Ah! <laughs> um, spot on. That was quite good. Thank you. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, to talk about uh, oh, did you more? Well, and then I just watched the fourth oh, yeah. one, uh, which is terrible, um, terribly good. Uh, <laughs> that one is weird because there really aren't like they don't really there aren't any black people in the movie except for except for Tuvok from uh, Star Trek. He's got like. It's weird because he seems sort of like he's slumming it because he's got like two lines. Um, but there are a lot of like Bruce Willis keeps making weird Asian hooker jokes. <laughs> like he he uh, the the main bad guy has uh, an Asian girlfriend uh, played by Maggie Q, and Bruce Willis like when he kills her like calls the calls the uh, the main bad guy and is like. Yeah, I just killed your Asian hooker. You're going to have to find a new one. 
and then like and keeps just writing that joke like every like like at some point later is like are you have you found another Asian hooker yet? Like, <laughs> Like, you know that 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 brings to mind. Um, I wish I could think of a specific example, but I've seen it so much that it's sort of uh, a blur. That in like a comedy sketch or whatever, if there's a reference to uh, like a large dildo, for some reason it's always funnier if it's a big black dildo. Have you ever, have you noticed this? It it, it always seems to. Seems I don't to pop watch up. that many dildo sketches. I have to be honest with you, and I I don't I don't see a ton of dildo sketches. But well, clearly, you did not listen to episode uh, twenty eight of our show because right, it, was it was devoted dildo entirely episode. to uh, dildo sketches. Um, um, no, at the same time, it's like because it, it usually has to do with uh, like a. You know, uh, in gay innuendo, you know that it's a guy using a dildo, so it's almost as if it's like twice as emasculating if the dildo is black. Yeah, no, I definitely, I yeah, there is something weird. I mean, it's like, it's like in the Naked Gun, like, and it's a joke that like gets done all the time, where it's like, what was it, the Naked Gun when, uh, uh, what's her, when Elvis Presley's wife has the has a baby, uh-huh. and uh, they bring out the baby, and it's a black baby. And then, like, Leslie Nielsen just starts, like, running after O.J. Simpson. And it's like, no, wait, that baby goes to room 106. And it's like, oh, oh. And, like, my name is Earl also. There's, like, that, like, which I love. Like, that's – I don't know a lot about genetics and all of that stuff. But uh, I just remember when I saw that show that it was, like, Jamie Presley gave birth to, like – the darkest black <laughs> child uh, like usually mixed children aren't that like that dark and like All right like um me myself and irene have you seen that where uh, yeah yeah his wife uh cheats on him with the 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 black uh, limo driver yes and then like their sons grow up and one of them is anthony anderson yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then like two were like these big like scary dudes yeah yeah yeah, yeah that uh the limo driver. He was also the little dude from Friday. He's that guy gets a lot of work, wasn't he? A little dude. Oh, in Friday, yeah. Is it Tony Cox? Him. Is that his name? The guy from uh, Bad Santa as well. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah Tony yeah, Cox. The dude from Bad Santa. Yeah. yeah. And Date Movie. He was also in Date Movie. Uh, you know what? I blocked it out. Good for you. <laughs> that was um, terrible. Yeah, I wanted to actually uh, talk about something that uh, other people. I've I've heard it discussed. The uh, the movies of uh, Edward Zwick. He directed Glory and The Last Samurai and most recently Blood Diamond. And one of the common things uh, is that there is a white lead character who, ha- who like, kind of is, like, leading, uh, like, a, it, he's the lead. And then, like, the minority character, like, in, in the case of Last Samurai, it's, you know. Um, is it Ken Watanabe? It, yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's the lead, and whereas the much more interesting character is the you know the the minority, and like it's just a story that really should be you know, and in Glory, of course, it's all these black soldiers <laughs> with Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, people who are infinitely more interesting than Matthew Broderick. Though I don't necessarily dislike Matthew Broderick, but it's just like compared to those guys, really. Um, but uh, well, now with Glory, I mean, it's it it, it it actually took place. They actually were right, right. led by a white. And that's captain or, or whatever his rank was, and that's but, fine. But I just I think it's interesting that like it seems like maybe it's because that movie was so successful. So maybe he tried to kind of have a, a pattern, 
you know, tried to repeat that success. But like, if you look at Last Samurai and Blood Diamond, usually the more compelling character is the supporting, uh, you know, diff- you know, minority. And right, yeah. and it's it almost seems like I don't know. I guess maybe because he feels that he's making movies primarily for a white audience. Maybe he's like, since he's trying to you know, quote unquote, make a difference. Uh, like in the case of Blood Diamond, it's like he will show it from the perspective of kind of a surrogate for them. Um, but if you look at a movie like Hotel Rwanda, where the main character, you know, is one of the people who's in it, you know, right. who, who's a yeah. part of this horrible situation, like I don't know. That's I remember you had that problem with uh, Mississippi Burning, or uh, I haven't seen that in a long time. Or maybe ter- maybe Teresa did. Um, but uh, just the idea. Oh, oh yeah, okay. sorry. Uh, but just long-time the idea listeners that, know that. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Um, just the idea that like these the that these minorities just can't help themselves they need like this great white hope to come in and 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 help them and uh i don't know what do you think of that yeah no i mean i i think i i wonder partly what you said of as from an audience standpoint if it's to sort of bring audiences in like white audiences so that they have a perspective but i also wonder if it's just from the director's perspective because either they don't feel comfortable or don't feel like they can properly do you know blood diamond through jaiman hunsu's character's perspective yeah. <laughs> or to do like to do glory I, i'm sure glory would be a different movie if done from morgan directly from morgan right. freeman's perspective <laughs> where it's like you're gonna see you're gonna see Matthew Broderick a little differently. You're gonna yeah. see everyone around him a little differently, and get more into why these guys are fighting this war. Right. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think I think ultimately it comes down to perspective, and it's like you know this, and it's the directors, it's the screenwriters. Like it's it's interesting that just I don't I don't get a lot of I don't get a, I don't get a lot of these opportunities, but. Uh, one time, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to interview to do a punch up on this uh, this really terrible movie that may or may not ever get made um, called Ebony and Ivory, and it uh, was a body switching movie. Um, <laughs> oh, I haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, and I think the idea was that it was it's I think that it's capitalizing on like. Chris Parnell, I think they wanted to get Chris Parnell attached to Star. Maybe he is attached, but uh, I, th- I think it was to capitalize on his rapping ability uh, from uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, there is a, a black rapper uh, who lives across the street from a white plastic surgeon that would be played by Chris Parnell. And they both uh, can't stand each other but they have the same housekeeper who is a magical Mexican housekeeper, <laughs> which is something that that's a theme that they put in the movie that all Mexican housekeepers have magic powers, <laughs> apparently. And but somehow not the magic powers. So they get themselves out of the house cleaning yeah, game. I would magic myself up a better job. Yeah. <laughs> but so she sees that they're, you know, that they have so many similarities, but they just they can't get past their racial differences so they switch bodies and so now the rapper is in Chris Parnell's body and the white guy the white plastic surgeon is in the rapper's body and hilarity ensues um 
But it's weird because reading it, like, I, I had to read it and then come up with, like, my, I guess, whatever my thought would be for, like, rewriting it. And, and the movie, I mean, the script is god-awful. Like, by the end of the movie, the final scene of the movie is a bus pulling up and, uh, uh, like, there's this neighborhood and a Jewish guy, like, a Jewish uh, Hasidic Jew uh, is yelling at his uh, his neighbor who's Muslim because the neighbor's dog shit on his yard and they're like yelling at each other and then a bus pulls up and our same Mexican maid uh, magical lady gets off the bus and sees them both and then looks at the camera knowingly like it says it in the stage direction looks knowingly at the camera as if to say sequel um, so it's and it's but it, but the interesting thing about like reading it was whoever wrote this whoever initially wrote this script or who had written the draft that I read clearly knew nothing, one, about hip-hop. Like, I was offended both as a fan of hip-hop and as a human um, because (laughs) they also just, like, like they knew nothing about hip-hop, but then also, and, like, sort of treated that with, like, no real sense of, like, the characters didn't seem real at all. But then the whole thing was just kind of, like, from... Like, they never really got into the reality of if a black person and a white person really did switch bodies, like, what that would be like. It just was, like, let's take every stereotype we can about, like, race and just sort of funnel it through this movie. But every stereotype we're going to take are just the ones that, like, bother me, the white writer who wrote this. <laughs> like, like one of the one of the early scenes, like, when they switch bodies is, like the the black guy now in Chris Parnell's body like wakes up and like goes to the bathroom and looks at himself in the mirror and has like a freak out moment and is just like holy shit I'm white and then he's like checking his body and then he like looks and he like opens his pants and he just looks down and he's like damn and then it cuts to now admittedly that is that is how I start my day. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, that part is true. So, I mean. But then on the on the other side of that, the black guy, the white guy now in the black guy's body, like, he wakes up and he goes to the bathroom and he's supposed to be, like, this big ripped, like, buff guy, like, I guess, like, 50 Cent or something like that. Although they wouldn't get 50 Cent. Uh, or maybe they would. I don't know. Hollywood's, Hollywood's an interesting game. Um, but, like, he like checks himself out in the mirror and he's like feeling his pecs and like holy shit I'm ripped and then like he opens his pants and looks down and then I think like the stage direction said something of like looks down uh, disappointed and like it was like disappointed that the stereotype isn't true <laughs> and like like the stage direction of this movie was literally just like one angry guy just like I hate this stereotype about black people because my dick is bigger than any black guy I ever met fuck you now what I want to see is the version of this movie where the the housekeeper gets a job at the penitentiary and then mixes up the bloods and crimps with the Aryan brotherhood (laughs) the Latin kings also yeah yeah. the one the one thing though I was I I did it, it made me think about like just that whole idea of like body switching that I was thinking about, uh, which is like if you do, if you were to switch bodies, 
And like the like the one guy, like he switches bodies and he's like, damn, look at my new giant white dick or whatever. <laughs> but like, let's say he's stuck in that body for a while. If he if he masturbates, does that make him gay? <laughs> Because it's not really his body anymore. Yeah. Like, does that? I, I I throw that out there as as a question. Battleship pretension at hotmail dot com, listeners. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll give it to you. If you switch <laughs> bodies with someone else and you have to take care of some business, does that make you gay? That's I I I think we all would like to know. <laughs> in case any of us ever switch bodies and really need to jerk off. I think in your in your punch up session you probably should have introduced that theme. Yeah. <laughs> well that was the, the the eventually I never got to make it to the meeting. I I got a flat tire on the way to the meeting and then uh it just got cancelled and then they gave it to somebody else. They uh who I'm sure will do another terrible pass at it. Um, that's no offense to that guy. It just like it just it seemed like the movie. It seemed like it could have actually been an interesting movie of like if you know like I think I, I think like if if a black person a white person were to switch bodies, I'm sure there are certain things that like like certain misconceptions that aren't necessarily as like whatever high concept fun or low concept i don't know uh just as like broad funny as like whose dick is bigger (laughs) and like shit like that that it just seems like if you know if they were to switch bodies it would be interesting to see like okay the things that like uh like like the little things you don't think about normally as a black person or as a white person that you may or may not like uh, be affected by now. Uh, I guess I should give an example. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, just little, just little things. Like, I think I, I feel like people always talk about like customer service or something like that. Does, like, is customer service different? That would make for an awesome movie. I could see that as like <laughs> the second act break. Um, it was probably good. I got that flat tire. Uh, but even well, I, well to me, and this was like I, I think my like the biggest note that I had going in was that like uh, it shouldn't have been a rapper and a plastic surgeon because like it, like to me it seemed like it would have made more sense if it was like a rapper and a politician because yeah. I think like rappers are i think you know to a lot of like like rappers rappers do about as much as politicians do as far as having the ear of like the youth and stuff like and they can you know if like 50 cent makes vitamin water all of a sudden people are drinking vitamin water if a rapper mentions something in a song like uh-huh. mentions Cavassier, everybody's drinking Cavassier, and it seems like in that way you have two characters that are like, and a politician who has a similar influence. Where it's like, if they say, you know, we need to go green, or we need to do, you know, we need tax breaks for the rich, or we need health care, whatever. Like, it seemed like that would have been more interesting. Like a plastic surgeon. Well, there's another aspect of that that I like uh, with the politician is that um, sort of the 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 rapper is the stereotypical rapper sort of embodies the sort of uh thug you know whatever stereotypes and is successful and that's intimidating maybe to 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 your uh, straight-laced uh, old-fashioned white people whereas a white politician represents a history of institutionalized racism and therefore there's more of that intimidation factor uh, yeah and it seems like that would have been interesting of just like 
then it's like you have a movie where it's like now you have this rapper who has like is a politician and has like the ability to whatever yeah. you know to affect some some change like Bullworth. I never saw Bullworth, but oh, yeah, that was good yeah, stuff. that's and, a good movie. But then, and then you have like in the same way you've got this this politician who's now a rapper who realizes like he could probably reach more people you know he could probably reach more youth or something like that as a rapper than he ever did as a politician and you know and sees things in a different light and but uh but yeah no it was uh i'm trying to remember there was more that (laughs) that script was so awful well Don't give everything away because I think we're, we'll all be lined up to see it. Over <laughs> yeah, <the weekend>. exactly. <laughs> Chris Parnell and Ebony and Ivory. Oh, I, oh, I that, hope it doesn't end up being called that. <clears> that was oh, time. that was the other great thing is so the because they've switched bodies. There's a big concert that uh, the rapper who I can't even remember the rapper's name. It was something stupid like like it was literally something like master deaf like <laughs> someone who just like maybe seen like a, like a mtv on in an airport was like these are two words i heard on mtv yeah. um but uh he's got like a big concert but he's still trapped in chris parnell's body so chris parnell is gonna have to perform at this big concert but people still want to see Master Def, and uh, so they so they decide like they're going to do a duet, and they do a hip hop duet of Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> <laughs> they like write like in they write in like two hours. Does uh, that song exist somewhere yet? Was that like the impetus for the movie? Do you think? Did, did in that the get script, written and recorded somewhere? In the script, there are lyrics. Like oh. there, there are actual. There are lyrics. If I still have the script, I'll email it to you. <laughs> and I like I I didn't get the job. Fuck them. <laughs> well, there's a topic I want to go. Uh, As you can see, Wyatt <laughs> Wyatt's got his career in the driver's seat. Fucking woo, yeah. I want to go back to something that uh, Tyler made me think of when he was talking about Blood Diamond. Um, in did you see did you see Blood Diamond? I uh, have not seen Blood Diamond. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's African people. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> character is he's African born, and well, uh, I don't know that his character is necessarily straightforward racist, but there is he does have these these sort of vestiges of the like colonial superiority, okay. and that I think gives the movie at least maybe not it maybe not it's not as balanced as it should be, but it's at least a little bit more honest. And what that reminded me of is a movie that I fucking love and would never get made today because of this, but uh, 48 Hours. Yeah, where, I just watched that. I mean, because there's no, like, uh, subtlety about it. Nick Nolte is a racist character, <laughs> you know? And, like, it almost, like, tempers the fact that Eddie Murphy is also sort of playing up stereotypes. But you don't – you didn't make Nick Nolte a John McClane. You yeah. made him sort of like a drunk and, and a hot-headed racist loser. Yeah, no, they were two, like, great flawed characters that like I I just watched it the other day and it was such a good good movie uh to see again cuz it's not like it's not like laugh out loud riot like yeah. the second one goes a little nutty uh but uh but yeah I I just watched that have you seen Inside Man? I didn't yeah. see it. He saw it. Inside Man there's actually like a kind of there's kind of a neat scene like that to me I thought like Spike Lee did a great job with that movie um because I thought like it was just an interesting movie, and it wasn't like it it wasn't it wasn't like a heavy-handed 
race commentary. They were they were just like subtle things and and more like life, I think, where it's just like just things that you notice. But there was that there was that scene where he's talking to that that one where Denzel Washington's talking to that one cop, mm-hmm. and he's he's uh, the it's like a, a street cop who had gotten shot, right? And he's like he's like, so how'd you get shot? And the guy starts telling this story of like, so I'm in the park. And like, and the guy's like, he look, he's like, fucking. I don't know if there's like, if Spike Lee has like a closet of just like New York character actors that he just <laughs> pulls out. But he, this guy is just like, he's fucking like New York to the to the brim, and he's just like, yeah, I'm in this park, and this one spick is fucking, and like, and then Denzel Washington's like, whoa, 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 hold up, retell the story, but leave out the color commentary. <laughs> and you see, like, the guy The guy kind of is, like, a little annoyed that he gets shut down, but then continues to tell the story and then, like, has to stop himself again because he almost says nigger. And then at the end of it, apologizes to Denzel Washington where he's like, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's just that this, you know, I'm not even thinking about it like that. It's just that these this, these kids almost killed me. And... I'd if you know, and if if I got to choose, I'd rather be an old racist versus a dead something like a <laughs> like a dead tolerant person, <laughs> and like. But it was just like this interesting thing where it was like that actually seems more realistic. The like that yeah, there are people who have just this sort of just have been raised in a certain culture where it's like yeah, it's okay to say, you know, it's okay to call someone a nigger or a spick or whatever, and you, you know, and you don't view people as exactly like you, yet you work with them all the time, yet you still view them a little differently, and and there was, and there was something that was kind of, it was cool because it was like, there, it wasn't like preachy or anything like that, like, it always, it always troubles me when it gets a little too preachy, where it's like, like, and you shouldn't do this, officer. Look at the camera. And neither should you, America. <laughs> On that note, I think I'm going to bring up Crash. Um, oh, yeah. That's now, uh, okay, so have you seen Crash? I have not. Okay. Because <laughs> oh, it seemed too preachy. It honestly, That's, I was like... Yeah. Um, it but, is, it's, I don't know, like, I, I loved it when it first came out because a lot of the acting is good, and that's, that's kind of enough for me uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But, um... It has since been kind of condemned by a lot of people because it was written by, you know, a white guy and it addresses the, you know, subject of race so head on that you're like, I don't think anybody really approaches racists. But not head on in that. like a ballsy way, head on in a ham handed way. Yeah. And I mean, the actors sell it and it's it's written, you know, it's written kind of OK, except that, you know, it's. It's about as you know. It's about as subtle as a chainsaw. That said, um, a lot of people. I worked at a video store when it came out, and um, in Chicago, and so, and a lot of our uh, customers were black, and a lot of them like loved it. And no, at no point did they say, you know, they didn't, they didn't say like, ah, that's not subtle at all. Like, it, like a lot of people, like not film nerds like me and David who destroy a movie uh, right after we see it. Um, but like regular people, you know, uh, that were any race, you know, I knew, you know, I, I, it was fairly diverse staff and all of us really liked it. Uh, they, it really like, you know, quote unquote made them think. And so I thought, well, you know, 
I guess the movie's not that bad if it does make an average. Like the only people who really, as far as I could tell, had a problem with it was like film nerds who have seen it done better. I don't know, like Spike Lee. I, I would hope that's not completely true because, and I don't want to like ignore Wyatt here because he hasn't seen the film, but. Okay. Uh, uh, I can pretend like I saw it. I mean, to me, that movie should be uh, equally offensive to anyone of any race because <laughs> it's so reductive. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, because it, it treats the – uh, some would say to its credit. Uh, I would say to its uh, detriment, it tre- treats the white characters just as much as stereotypes, particularly Brendan Fraser and, and, mm-hmm. and Sandra Bullock, uh, as it does anyone of any other race. So it offends you as a white person? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to me it seems it's it's it seems weird it, like i feel like the thing that anyone anyone who i knew who saw it they all came out and they were like oh yeah it really makes you think and i guess like that's the natural reaction to being like shocked is just like oh it makes you think but to me the biggest thing about it and i and i think what also made me not want to see it is i feel like when a hundred people come out of a movie and are like it makes you think but they don't necessarily do anything after that. Like, yeah, I think the movie doesn't so much make one think as it tells you what to think. I mean, it's very, uh, it's it's not that deep. It pretty much says that racism is bad, which you know, most of us. What are you kinda, implying, Dave? Kind of new going in. Okay, but I mean, it's it's not a movie like um, I, I I can't think of an example right now. But uh, it doesn't like present uh, like a question and then provide possible answers. It just uh, drums into your head, you know, racism exists and it's bad, and it, so it doesn't it doesn't make you think in any way at all. It it does the thinking for you. And you know, if you compare it to like um, do the right thing, um, which is another you know large ensemble thing that it, uh, approaches uh, this subject, like that's a movie. It makes you think, but it also makes you really mad. And I think that's what any movie approaching this topic, and you know, and it purports to be you know, a clear-eyed view of the topic. Because, I mean, when you think about it, like, you're right there with, you know, uh, Spike Lee's character, you know, when they... But then once they start busting up, you know, the pizza place from, you know, who, which is owned by Danny Aiello, who is a sympathetic character that you're on board with, like, once it actually erupts into violence, it's almost like the movie's like, okay, now how much are you with them? Right, You know, yeah. and, and I, like, I liked that a lot because it was a movie that made me mad. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, like, I... It's weird because I remember there was a guy, I, I knew a guy who saw a crash and he was telling me like he and his, he and his wife went to see it and you know, they, they're in like their forties. There's nothing wrong with being in your forties, but they're, uh, <laughs> you know, like they're like, they've got like, a f- you know, family people or whatever. And they went to see it and, and he was saying how, uh, when they saw it, he, was watching the movie and i guess there were a couple of there were a couple of like i don't know 20 something black guys that were next to him and he and his wife were white and he at some point i guess positioned himself between the guys thinking like i should be between my white wife and these two black guys because black guys love to rape in movies. <laughs> um, and, They're always talking and raping in the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but, but then he was talking about how like when he was watching the movie, like at some point he was like, he 
saw he saw something in the movie that made him realize what he did at that particular moment was like something that he saw in Crash itself and but it didn't necessarily like he was just like yeah it was kind of profound but all it seemed to really do was just like drum up whatever white guilt he already <laughs> had like like it didn't necessarily like it, the story kind of ended there it wasn't like so then when the movie was over, I looked at the two black guys and I said, hey, black guys, I'm sorry. I sat next to you because I didn't want you sitting next to my white wife. Anybody want a beer? Let's be friends. Now. Like, it, like It didn't, like, which I would have loved if it had turned into that. So then the next thing I know, the four of us are at Applebee's. Fucking jalapeno poppers going all around. After about five mojitos, because Applebee's makes the best mojito, <laughs> we go back to my place, and they rape me. <laughs> See, here's what I get out of that. I'm always looking for a place that makes good mojitos, and, uh, and now I know where to go. I don't really think Applebee's makes. Oh, okay. I'm not, you know what? I'm not a mojito drinker. I'm not a, I've had, there's a place, there's a place here off of Melrose somewhere that someone was like, oh, you have to go there. It's the best mojito. And so I went with some friends. And I don't, I'm the wrong person to judge because I'm not a mojito drinker. <laughs> and, but they like, they make, like, they grind their own, like, sugar cane in front of you. And, like, they're, like, crushing mint. And it was, like, this whole big deal. And I remember drinking it and, like, oh, okay, it tastes like minty lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place downtown called, uh, I think it's called El Ciudad. It's like a pan South American the restaurant. The city. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, they got good mojitos there. Te hablo. <laughs> Yo hablo. So, you know, we should wrap up soon, but uh, there's one movie that I really wanted to talk about because I uh, just recently bought it and was watching, or actually all three of these movies, the Matrix movies, which uh, I've heard a, a, a lot of people say, uh, um, you know, commend them for being, uh, for having such colorful casts. Uh, and then I've a lot of, heard a lot of people say, yeah, but the savior and his girlfriend are still white and uh you know maybe it's not my my position to say but that doesn't bother me so much because they're not it's not like all the rest of the people are sort of cowering and waiting for the people to waiting for Keanu Reeves to save them save them I think it's just sort of a uh the savior happens to be white that's just my opinion I wonder what you think well I think one it depends on how you look at it uh to me I personally saw Cornell West as the star of the Matrix movies (laughs) Um, his performance was amazing, and he's it's, got he's got about three lines over two movies. Is that? I think so. <laughs> it's honestly, it's great when someone who uh, is as talented an actor as he. I mean, he picks his projects. He really, he really does. Like he's he's like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna teach whatever theology or whatever it is he teaches and. I'm going to show up at the BET Hip Hop Awards and... Uh, release two hip hop albums. Yeah. Oh, that are delicious. Um, <laughs> I've never listened to them. I listened to the first one, um, which, yeah, I, after the first one, how could you make a second one? Um, <laughs> like, how do you follow up genius with genius? Uh, yeah, the first one, there was a song on there that starts out like, Brother Malcolm, Brother Martin... Brother Marcus, we miss you. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> like it was so like, 
It's like they got the bass player from who did the score for Seinfeld to lay down some hot licks for Cornell to just kind of talk over. Um, yeah, I that honestly, if I can just go on a side tangent for a second about Cornell West's rap career. <laughs> I, I recently got the opportunity. I, I, I recently, I recently met MC Light just briefly, very briefly met MC Light, and I was just like, I was blown away because she was so cool and like really, really cool and awesome person, and just a lot of fun. And it was weird because it was like I remember like the Cornell West album came out, and it's like he's got like Common and like all these like all these people like I can't remember who else is on his second album with him, but he's got like just like a ton of like production help from like i think like jermaine dupree or something like just a ton of people and it's weird because like i saw mc light who was actually like a talented rapper yet like it seems like it seems like the producers like record producers and people would be like hey mc light like you actually are good at this like why don't we help you make a hit album as opposed to help cornell west make an album no one's going to listen to (laughs) Um, so that's my little side tangent, but <laughs> Cornell West, the best part of the Matrix trilogy. Um, as far as it bothering, uh, the whole Neo, you know, I, I don't think it bothered me cause yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was, it was, like you said, it was a, they did a pretty good job at making a cast that was about, you know, a, it was like a multi-ethnic cast mm-hmm. and <clears throat> like, I'm not I the Matrix I wasn't crazy about the Matrix in general uh cuz it reminded me too much of Captain EO uh but um I but that didn't necessarily bother me cuz it just seemed like there wasn't like there wasn't a character that was ever like Neo you the gots to be watching out for the machines like that never that never happened like Jar Jar Binks or anything like right. that never well, showed up I'm glad you said that because I I feel like there are certain people who were maybe just sort of uh looking to be outraged yeah like, I know people like to me uh, we were talking about before we started recording I'm a big Buffy fan and you know I think Buffy is like such a a, a great like feminist role model but then there will always be these people out there who say well she's too skinny though you know right like, yeah it's well and i think i mean i think ultimately it's not even it's like to me it, it seems like the matrix the matrix movies are fine i think i think at the end of the day is just about having proper representation for all races and creeds and whatnot that it's like not every time you have a terrorist like it's always got to be a Middle Eastern guy. Like, if if you're going to do that, that there's also, you know, you also have other movies where a Middle Eastern guy is, you know, your hero yeah. or is, you know, gets to be the guy who gets the girl in the end. That it's not that it's not all Middle Eastern guys are terrorists. All, you know, Asian women are like the angry ninja assassin. That there's, <laughs> you know, there are other things... Lucy Liu is talented, and there are other things she should be doing other than Ninja Assassin. She does it well, but I think she's she's got a full range of abilities. And I don't know if she listens to the podcast, but if she does, <laughs> I have a script I wrote. It's called Yellow and Mellow, and it's about an Asian lady who switches bodies with a hippie. <laughs> 
through the help of their gardener. Yes. <laughs> that part doesn't change. It's always right. got to be yeah. the magical it's, Hispanic. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they're 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 a magical people. <laughs> well, then, I mean, we have to wrap up. We didn't get to talk about the uh, Legend of Bagger Vance and the Green Mile and the magical Black Man movies, which right, I really yeah. wanted to talk about. But I we're, wanted to talk about uh, in the heat of the night. Well, why don't you pout about it? Yeah, oh, I will. Okay. Don't well, worry. I'm not going to do it in front of the guests, though. Yeah, we'll do it off air. Yeah. We, we got to wrap up. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about that, but, uh, you know, Legend Bag Advance, Green Mile, those movies suck. So, not not good movies. Okay, we're at a consensus on that, so let's wrap up. It was uh, great having you, Wyatt. Thanks we'll for having you me. Back now, you have, a, you have a website, right? Uh, I do, yeah. Uh, it's just Wyattsenac.com. Uh, Z E N A C. Yes, W Y A T T C E N A C.com. Um, and, uh,. Yeah, and then I'm doing shows. Uh, yeah, what else do I say? Uh, yeah. I I'm know. sure I'm on the internet point. somewhere else. Yeah. There's some clips of you on uh, fnfunny.com. And That's true, yeah. Those are, those yeah. are good stuff. Um, so. I don't have a blog. I'm sorry. That's uh, all right. Um, well, anytime you want to, you know, uh, vent on our show, you can come and this will be your blog. Thank Absolutely. you. And <laughs> please email the show with uh, your thoughts about whether if you switch bodies and masturbate in that other body, does it make you gay? Uh, we will announce this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to know. And I'm not, I'm not trying to find out because I've been switched into why it's an ex-body. Are you Chris Barnell? I, I haven't masturbated in a month because I need to know. Because I ain't no queer. All right? It's like, right. Say what you want about any race. You know, racism is wrong, but homophobia, nothing wrong with that. And on that note... <laughs> on the right. Battleship Retention motto, in fact. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.